Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. We are looking forward to our regathering of our church on January 17th. Remember, the church is not closed just because the building is is not open, uh, but the church continues to work in our community and serve God. And in the meantime, before we come back to worship together, this is the perfect time to redefine what worship is for the Wilmington Church of Christ. Since the last time we preached on worship, a lot has changed. We have a new worship minister, Nick Bancroft. People have arrived and placed their membership with this congregation who are trying to put down roots and build up their faith, and others have left because of jobs or worship preferences or they didn't like the preacher. Regardless, the Lord's church is always changing. Church change is inevitable because the people change. We're not even exactly the same person who went to sleep last night and then woke up this morning. Also, we have had to really adapt what we think of as church, church attendance and what the gathering looks like, this past year. It's unlike anything that you or I have probably had to do before. Other Christians around the world have faced similar problems, and while still others have faced this type of problem in their countries that don't allow them to gather for worship, and they have to adapt, and and they have to define worship maybe a little bit differently than we've had to do it. They've had to maybe worship even in secret. So the first reason we're going to teach on worship over the next several weeks as a church, is we need to rebuild a common vision of what worship means. We need a unity of understanding. And I think there's no better person to tell us what worship is and how we are to worship than Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at what he says worship is from John chapter 4. The second reason we're teaching on worship is equally or maybe more important. As a congregation, we need to develop into true worshipers of God. God is seeking true worshipers. So we need to develop into that kind of worshiping people that he desires, not just people that worship. Do you see the difference? Worshiping people are always living for God, and people that worship are persons who tend to only worship on Sundays for one hour. True worshipers of God worship all the time. Worship ends up being a way we live and what we become. We really ran into this problem this past year because some of us felt like if we didn't gather on Sunday mornings in this building, we were not able to worship. Uh, This has been very revealing to the elders and to me, and I have to apologize for the disservice our church and our teaching methods, especially the way we've taught worship for years and years, may have crippled us spiritually. If you define worship most strongly as singing on Sunday morning with other Christians, we have a flawed definition of worship. Singing with Christians for 20 minutes on Sunday mornings is worship, but it's just a very, 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 very small tool of who we need to be as worship. There's almost, there's over 10,000 minutes in a week, and we're awake for approximately 7,000 of those minutes, and one hour on worship on Sunday mornings is less than 1% of our waking hours. And if you're a veteran of the faith and you checked all the boxes and you were here on Sunday, when, whenever the building was open, you know, an hour on Sunday for Sunday school, an hour for worship on Sunday morning, you came back for an hour of Sunday night church, and then you came back for an hour of Wednesday night church, uh, and you spent 
you know, your four or five hours, you're still under 5% of your waking hours. This is not the type of worshiper that God is seeking. And if all we have done is taught you to sing as worship, we have failed you. What we really should have been doing for years, and what I should have been doing for years, and what we should have done at the beginning of the pandemic is train our mothers and fathers how to live life as worship. I should have been teaching my children how to lead a life that is worship. And we should have trained the fathers and mothers how to lead a dedicated time of worship in their homes and trained our families on how to sing praises together and pray together and read the scripture and encourage one another and serve together so that our whole lives would be worship. Our church should have been teaching you how to dwell with God who wants to live within you. So for the next several weeks, we will be teaching the essentials of worship, the definition of worship, and your identity in worship, what part we have in it and how it is supposed to be transformational for both you and those you will lead to worship God. Today, we're going to start with the definition Jesus wraps around worship. And the scripture we're going to look at comes from John chapter 4. This is where the definition Jesus gives us for worship comes from. Uh, Turn there with me, John chapter 4, and watch how Jesus dismantles some of our false ideas about worship. And then uh, we can redefine it based on what he says that worship is. And then we can become true worshipers of God. The key passage we will unwrap is John chapter 4, 21 through 24, but we will read verses 1 through 42. John describes Jesus passing through a dangerous territory of Samaria, dangerous because he was a Jew and the area was Samaritan and Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And he stopped because he was tired and he rested at a well. There he has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And it's within this conversation that Jesus gives us the starting place for how we should define worship. So let's read this conversation and then unravel some of the words and phrases Jesus uses so we can have a common definition, a common unity for worship. So John chapter 4, I'm just going to start with uh, verse 1 and we'll read 42 verses to hear this whole conversation in context. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Remember, this is the dangerous place for Jews. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? 
Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, you know, right there, the woman didn't understand what Jesus was offering her. She didn't understand who Jesus was. And she didn't understand that Jesus was trying to help her become a true worshiper of God. When we harden our hearts to God and our conscience, our conscience and our spirits become so hard and calloused that we won't see Jesus unless he pierces our souls. And watch how Jesus does his surgery. Watch how he pierces her soul with this one piercing question. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I imagine that Jesus said this with a very soft, gentle, loving voice. I imagine he spoke this truth in love, saying a hard thing to hear that she knew and everybody else knew. But she was broken and lonely, and she was looking for love in all the wrong places for all the wrong reasons, trying to find comfort for a wound in her heart through relationships, and she would never find that eternal comfort she needed. And I think Jesus knew that. And, and Jesus is breaking through her walls that she set up around herself and he pierces her soul by calling out her sin. And I believe he did it in a gentle way. We're told by the prophet Isaiah that a smoldering wick Jesus will not snuff out and a bruised, weed he, a bruised reed he will not break. So I believe even though this is a hard truth to be revealed, Jesus is gentle in doing it. And one preacher says her response is this universal reflex of a person who is far from God, who's been caught in sin. And that person, instead of dealing with the sin that's been exposed, tries to change the subject rather than work through and repent of their sin problem. I know I do this when I'm called out for my sin. And when my sin is exposed, I'll do something like, I'll say like, oh yeah, but what about you? And I'll try to turn it around on someone else or change the subject. And that's what this woman did. Look at how she responds. Verse 19, Jesus says, The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And she responds, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I love how one preacher describes her response. Why, yes, as long as we're speaking about my five husbands and my adultery, what is your stance on the issue of where people should worship? That's that reflex that we have when we are confronted with our sin. And Jesus was doing that. He was confronting her with her, with her sin so he could lead her to himself, so he could lead her to become a true worshiper of him. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. Jesus has been leading the conversation to this very point. And he had to break down her walls. He had to get beyond her sin. He had to find where her heart was so he could begin to teach her what worship is. And here's where we get the beginning of our definition of worship. Jesus uses a Greek word for worship. It's called proskuneo, to adore or bow down, to blow kisses toward. And he uses it here in a unique way. He says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And it, it's only when we start breaking down the definition of Jesus' word for worship that we begin to have an understanding of what he means when he says worship. So let, let's start here. Proskuneo means to adore, love what we're worshiping. It, it means to bow down to what we worship. And it means to blow kisses at what we are worshiping. <laughs> love, bow down, and blow kisses. True worshipers, Jesus says, will love, will bow down, and will blow kisses. Let's make these words a little easier to remember. One worship leader named Zach Neese wrote a book called How to Worship a King. Uh, he describes it this way. Oh, and uh, just on a side note, I really recommend and encourage you to buy and read his book, How to Worship a King. And we'll be doing a Bible study uh, starting this Wednesday night on Zoom using Zach's material. Um, and his interpretation really helped me grasp this text. So Pastor Zach describes the adoration part of proskuneo is where we love what we worship. In this case, we love God. We love God because he loves us, because he created us, because he is worthy to be worshipped. He is the spiritual being who created all other spiritual beings. He is Yahweh, God Almighty, and he wants to be with us. He's a God of intellect and a God of heart. And our affections and emotions and our heart should be set on him because he loves us. And because he loves us, we love him back. In the Old Testament, as God led the people out of Egypt, they were living in tents in the desert as they made their way to the promised land. And God said, make me a tent because I want to dwell with you. God told the Israelites, I want to live among you and be in your midst. And I want you to know who I am. And then he gave them these rules and instructions on how to live with the God who wanted to dwell with them. This is our big, scary, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And he wants to live with you and me. This is lovely. We adore that. We love him. Second, the bow down part means that we know he is worthy to be worshipped. We not only love him, but we give him worth and submit to his power and his wisdom and his magnific magnificence. We recognize his lordship over our lives, and we want to make it known that he is worthy to be lord and master of our lives. We recognize that he is smarter, wiser, and more loving than we could ever be. And his compassion for us wants the best for us. And if he were here in front of us, we would fall down and bow down and put our face on the ground in front of him because he is so worthy. That's exactly what people do in the New Testament when they encounter Jesus and they come to an understanding of who he is. They worship him. They bow down. They put their face on the ground. When Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, realized Jesus was God, he fell to his face in worship. And when John, Jesus' cousin, one of his best friends, saw the vision of Christ in all of his glory, he fell down like a dead man. 
When we encounter Christ, we bow and submit ourselves to him. And it's even easier to do because we know how much Jesus loves us. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, he sacrificed himself on the cross and became broken and gave his life to death so that we could be healed and so that we could live. And if he appeared to you right this moment, you wouldn't be able to do anything else but fall on your face and worship and there wouldn't be anything else you would want to do because he is worthy. But Jesus told us that while we, he was in heaven waiting for his return, he would be with us in spirit. He would send the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and make himself known. So we don't really have a picture or a person to bow down to. So we have to do this type of worship internally. Our act of bowing down is actually an act of submission. We submit our wills and our actions and our minds and our hearts to Jesus. This is our spiritual act of worship. We, we give him our whole selves. We give our whole selves to the Lord and make him our master because he is worthy. The, Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And when you bow down spiritually to Jesus, you are submitting your hearts to him. He becomes the object of our affections. We submit our minds to him. We allow him to take capture our thoughts. We submit our souls to him. We desire him more than anything else. And when we submit our strength to him, we give him all of our actions. When we submit to the Lordship of Christ, using the indwelling Holy Spirit within us, we are worshiping in spirit. And when we recognize that Jesus is God, who desired to come and dwell with us, that he died and rose again to prove his love for us and to take away our sins, but more than that, more than just to die for our sins. He died so that we could be in a relationship with him. When we come to that truth, we end up worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that's Jesus's definition. It's love and lordship. But what about proskuneo, that kissing toward, blowing kisses as an action? This is an expression of worship. To be a true worshiper of God, we must love plus lordship plus an expression of worship. We only, we only blow kisses to someone who's just a little bit further away than you wish they were. And there's something about being here on earth. And, and even though we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and even though we've been united to Christ through his death, and even though we've been declared not guilty and, and we've been made a child of God, there's just something about being here on earth that's not the same thing as being face-to-face -face with Jesus. We know what this feels like because we're doing online church. Online church checks off all the boxes of in-person gathering. We can hold each other accountable. We can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We can carry each other's burdens by praying for one another. We can love one another. But being online together is just not the same as being in person together. So there is something within us that just feels like God is just a little bit further away than I wish he was. And so we blow a kiss to him and we ask him, we, we say, Jesus, come just a little bit closer. We say, God, can you just come a little bit closer? Come, God, just a little bit closer to me, please. This is the pull of intimacy. And when you love someone, you want them, you want them to be closer. You want to be closer and closer to them. And the more you love someone and the more intimate your relationship is, the more expressive your love for them will be. And we can't help but ask God to come closer. That's the beauty of worshiping in spirit and truth. We can use the expressions, blowing kisses toward Jesus, the expressions of our entire life to worship. 
we can end up becoming worship, not just doing worship. We can worship anywhere and not just in one location. And we can move from having an outward ritualistic worship to having a relationship of worship. All the while we're saying, Jesus, just come a little bit closer. And here's where Jesus has ultimately been leading the conversation. We can't be a true worshiper of God unless we figure out the who in the worship question. It's not ultimately about where or how, but it's about who. Who do we worship? And Jesus reveals himself to this woman at the well in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus tells the woman, it's not about the location, the place where you worship. It's about the position of your heart for worship. It's not about the ritual you do with worship. It's about your relationship with God. What he would tell us would be, it's not about the building or the time, but about the person. Do you worship Jesus? And can you use your whole being and whole life to worship him? This is why the scripture says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And Colossians 3 kind of imitates that saying, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Do your actions of your whole body form an expression of living worship? Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that he sent Jesus to be with us. In view of that mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. One preacher says it this way, The New Testament uses all these sentences about worship and sacrifice, and it doesn't ever use the term worship, service, or sing. Instead, it describes a way of life. So this is where we're going to start. The definition Jesus gives us for worship. Love plus lordship plus expression. This isn't all there. This isn't all there is to the definition of worship, but this is where we're going to start. The expression part of our definition of a life of worship where we continually express that we want Jesus just to be a little bit closer. Jesus did give us something, a way, a ritual to use to draw a little closer to him. He gave us communion. This is actually a beautiful response to that desire for him to be a little closer. And it doesn't take much of an imagination to consider that this bread is his body. And it doesn't take much of an imagination to consider this juice to be his blood. When he met with his disciples and they had done this Passover feast for you know, the, the Jewish people had done Passover feast for centuries. And they took this bread and they would break it on Passover. And they, the father of the house would take this bread and he would break it. And he said, this is the bread of our suffering. In reference to the suffering that his ancestors had gone through. And Jesus got together with his disciples and he did a Passover and he changed the words. And he took that bread and he said, this is my body. And he broke it. And then he took this cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. My blood poured out for you. 
Paul reminds us that when we participate in the bot and when we participate in the bread and the cup, we're actually participating in the body and blood of Christ. This is a spiritual way to actually draw closer to Jesus Christ. And when we take this in a worthy manner, when we examine our lives and recognize that we haven't been worshiping Jesus perfectly, and yet his grace covers over everywhere we, we, where we mess up, we're reminded of our, of our sin and why he died, and we're reminded that we are covered by his grace and love and mercy and declared righteous. We're reminded that Jesus died and rose again, and we're also reminded that he's coming back to get us. This spiritual act is one way to ask Jesus just come a little bit closer. Would you allow your hearts and your minds to be captured by the imagination of Jesus drawing closer to you? And would you allow it to go just a little bit further than imagination and to know that he is really drawing closer to you, just a little bit closer, every time you participate in communion as the church? Would you participate in the body by eating the bread? And participate in his blood by drinking the juice. Let's pray. Lord, we desire to get closer to you. We praise you and thank you that you've given us this immediate response to your word preached and, and our immediate response to singing about you, an immediate response to a, a way where we can worship you, a way to draw closer, a way to blow you kisses and say, Jesus, come just a little bit closer. Thank you so much for giving us this time of communion. Lord, would you allow it to spiritually draw us closer to you? Would you allow us to feel that spiritual closeness? Lord, as we have gathered today to worship you for this short hour, would you now scatter us to worship you for all of our lives in every expression of our life, whether we're at work or whether we're at school or whether we're at play, would you allow our lives to express a desire to draw closer to you? Would you allow our lives to reveal that we are submitting ourselves in obedience to you? Would you allow our hearts and our affections to be set on you? Thank you for drawing close to us this morning. Would you do so tomorrow as well? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to keep unraveling the ways Jesus tells us to worship. And we've started today with just a simple definition. Love, lordship, and an expression. Will you start using your actions and your words and your imaginations to express your desire and love for Jesus? And would you start allowing your life to be an expression of worship? Would you start becoming worship instead of just doing worship? We look forward to meeting in person again soon, but in the meantime, don't stop worshiping the Lord. See you soon.
If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.